0: Hi, this is Janice.
1: And I'm Sarah N.
0: And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern-day working professional.
1: Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Hi, everyone. So today we thought that we'll do an exciting episode just to kick off the entire season one of the Explore This podcast. And we wanted to use this as an opportunity for you as our listeners to get to know us and to share about our personal career journeys, what we've learned along the way and to share also about where we currently are. So I'll kick us off. I am a customer success account manager in a tech company. What about yourself?
0: Yeah, thanks, Sarah, for that great opening. I've relocated to Hong Kong, and I'm currently an internal HR strategy and governance specialist in a Hong Kong headquartered beauty company.
1: All right, so we thought that we'll kickstart by just providing a little bit of context about who we are as co-hosts of the Explore This podcast. So Janice and myself, we are both former lawyers who went on to do our MBA at the Asia School of Business, a business school that is in collaboration with Malaysia Central Bank and MIT Sloan. And then we proceeded on to pivot our career paths after business school. And it's been such a roller coaster, right, Jen? I think you would agree with me as well, filled with so many ups and downs. Let's maybe start by touching on our legal career journey. Would you like to kick us off?
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely important for us to go back in time and set the context of where we started, you know, what we studied, and then taking our listeners through a journey of how we came to where we are now. Obviously, we are not at a point where, you know, we know it all, have it all figured out, but it's something that is very close to our hearts, right? Career transitions, pivots, and as we're also reflecting along the way, I think, yeah, we'd like to take everyone along this journey with us. So yeah, a little bit about our background, both of us, we did law, And then we also went to the UK and that's where we crossed paths. That was like the magical moment, (laughs) serendipity, friendship moment. So for me, I did my three years of degree and I was called to the bar in the UK and then came back to Malaysia to practice law. And I essentially started out chambering in a large size law firm here in Malaysia that basically had multiple practice areas. But... I specialized very early on. For the first three, four months, I was doing like banking and then from the fourth month onwards of my pupillage and then going on to like the first year of my associateship, I already went straight into tax litigation, right? It's very niche area. You know, not the sexiest of areas, but with the niche area, there are pros and cons with it. So that was my practice area, looking into tax cases and our clients were basically MNCs, government bodies. And that was how I started out in law. Yeah, what about you, Sarah? What was your legal journey like?
1: So similar to Janice, right? I studied law in the UK and was called to the bar in England and came back to Malaysia to complete the pupillage and proceeded on to practice. I was in practice, I think, not for long. I would say about three years in total. And my experience was very different from Janice. You hear her talking about tax litigation in a larger-sized law firm. And my experience was totally the opposite. I had experience working in two small-ish Law firms, non-corporate, and it was focused more towards general litigation, human rights, pro bono litigation, as well as the second firm I worked in before starting my MBA, which was a specialized family law firm. And you can see the differences in the practice areas that we had, but I think it, it sort of did give us a flavor of what that legal experience is like here in Malaysia. What was something that was memorable for you, Jen?
0: Ooh, honestly, there were so many memorable moments. But like you, right, I didn't spend too long in practice as well. So after pupillage and I think one year into like being an associate, I knew that this really wasn't the path that I wanted to pursue. But in terms of what was most memorable for me... Hmm. Going down memory lane again. I think for litigators, and let me know if you resonate with this. You never forget your first big win, right? And for me, the first win I had was with getting a win on this file that I took ownership of, working together with the senior partner, in the first few months of my pupillage. So within the first few months, I you know was still so fresh, you're know, just newbie, and I had this big file land on my lap. I think this was like five months into pupillage. So I was obviously. Nervous. I was anxious. I was like, "This is this is a crazy huge file," and I felt like at that point, I so did not deserve to be taking the lead on this file. But my boss somehow trusted me and basically let me hit the ground running on day one itself. And obviously, that was a super nerve wracking experience. I had so many like close calls, yeah. um, but I honestly learned so much through it. You know, through the good, bad, and ugly of this. I call it the, you know, some of my colleagues who are listening, it's the Hydra file. You all know which one I'm talking about. But basically, putting in all the nights of blood, sweat, and tears on this file and to finally getting that win that we um, got in 2018, that to me was a moment that I felt was like, wow, all my hard work paid off. And it was one of those like really exhilarating moment that I still remember to this day.
1: What about you? So I like when you mentioned we always remember our wins. Definitely, that's something that I resonate with. But I think with those wins, it comes those behind-the-scenes lows as well. Yeah. So my win was basically a very meaningful strategic litigation case, which actually affected tens of thousands of Malaysians. And it was a case that we won at the Court of Appeals. So initially, it was from the High Court, and then we lost, and then it was an appeal up at the court of appeal which later got overturned I won't go so much into details but when we won that case I remember just sitting down there at the court of appeal and just reflecting and I really felt I didn't know whether I should laugh or cry (laughs) because it was the one case that also caused me in that sense inverted commas so much pain and why I say that right I'll tie it together to what was my most you know, in that sense, disliked moment. I think here's the thing, right? As young lawyers, we definitely don't have problems putting in the hard work, putting in those blood, sweat, and tears, staying up late in the office. Those were things that we were accustomed to. It was sort yeah, of the yeah, regular. But understood
0: life. as well, right? Like, okay, this is what you need to do as a rite of passage.
1: Exactly and it was like it was expected out of you I I think when we were going through it we didn't feel that it was weird Because everyone that we knew was going through that same rite of passage like you said But that specific case I remember it was a very challenging week for me I was actually feeling very sick I had gastroenteritis and it was the week that I had two major court of appeal cases in the same week which, Which was just a nightmare I remember that And despite that gastroenteritis, I was still managing these two files. And I think I remember every single night I was in the office till 4am. But the thing is, every one or two hours, I had to run to the toilet to throw up. And it sounds very crazy right now, but I was throwing up every other hour and continuing back. I, I had another colleague who was working together with me until the, the wee hours of the morning. It's not even late night anymore. And she was just seeing me and she was just like, "I, you, you should go home. That's what she told me. And I was like, I can't leave you here alone. And so you just pushed through and it was basically... Ran into the toilet, vomited, came back, continued. Ran into the toilet, vomited, continued. And and that was what happened in that entire week. So that was the case that I remember thinking, wow, should I laugh or cry at the fact that we won now, you know? So tying back to what I didn't really enjoy about that short years of practice is really this lifestyle that I saw myself in. And I thought it wasn't something sustainable. It wasn't something that I could see myself doing in the long run. What about you?
0: So interesting actually Because And actually I want to ask you Like one question right In terms of that Even though you were doing Your work was in an area That was very meaningful It was more like Sort of social rights And social justice Was that not enough To push you through Like the mission And the cause of it?
1: So it's a great question right Uh, A lot of these cases Were meaningful Because like we say With regards to Pro bono strategic litigation It's cases that might not win you the millions, but it's something that would affect the nation. And yes, the cause was real and yes, it was meaningful and it was something that we were all very passionate about pursuing together from a human rights perspective. But at the same time, you tie that also to what you see yourself doing in the long run. And I think that was something that I had a perspective on. You know, definitely kudos to my human rights activist friends who have still continued And held up the flag for us until today It's something that I really admire about them Whether it's something I could see myself doing Probably not Which is why I sort of made that decision to transition out
0: Mm, Girl, I honestly resonate so much with what you said In terms of the long hours Where the health is actually affected and involved And even the anxiety that you experience The pressure I, I remember like as a junior associate There would be days where I'm just like frantically running around and then checking my phone and having like mini panic attacks and I really vividly recall those days where you know in public they have this parking lot and it's like it just stretches on end, right? And I recall there were moments where I had to just go downstairs to the parking lot and just pace back and forth because I just needed to have a place where I could catch my breath and just get away from, you know, the anxiety and panic of it all. And even now when we speak to junior lawyers who are thinking of, you know, should I leave or not? I'm experiencing all these anxieties on a day-to-day basis. It's really affecting my health. My heart really goes out to them because I think we're all too familiar with that feeling. And sometimes, Even working on a cause that is so noble, that might not be enough to push you on because you need to know whether that is something that aligns with your long-term passions. And I guess that's something we can discuss later on. But yeah, what was the moment for you where you decided like, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to find an exit plan for myself. And was that a difficult decision?
1: I would say this ties into the, the story about how I decided to do the MBA. So I'll be very honest and say that the MBA wasn't, something i was looking for in fact it's quite the contrary i would say that the mba came looking for me and how i first got to hear about this mba at the asia school of business was through a friend of mine who went through the first cohort and the premise behind the school is that they are looking for extraordinary and unconventional candidates who didn't necessarily have the traditional gmat that most business schools were looking for and she kind of told me that i should give it a go and i At that time, I was just like, no, I'm not really sure. We'll see. Okay, maybe in the pipeline. So I attended this women's luncheon event just to hear a little bit more about it. And then later on, she convinced me, you know, it's no harm putting in the application. And I was like, all right, you know what? I'll just put in that application. And at that time, I was trying to meet a very tight deadline. So I also only had four days to pull together an application And I decided we'll see how it goes. The worst case is just a rejection and then I'm still practicing law anyways. So yeah, that's what I mean when I say, you know, contrary to quite a number of people who have it in their aspirations to eventually pursue business school, it wasn't something that I planned. But I would say that it was the right door that opened up these right opportunities at the right time. I just was open-minded about it and when it landed on my lap in that sense I embraced it I was very grateful because I also had very supportive parents and never once did my parents tell me something like oh you know we spent so much money sending you to the UK for you to study law and to get called to the bar and now you're telling us that you don't want to pursue law I'm very grateful that Mm. I I didn't receive any of that from from my parents they were very supportive and I think another push factor was also that in the second law firm that I was in my boss was very supportive and when I told her about this right she said Sarah any opportunity for you to further your education is a good opportunity I want you to go for it and I think it was those mini marks of blessings that gave me that peace to leave and sort of pursue this with an open heart not really knowing what to expect what was that journey like for you Jen?
0: Wow, I think there's so much value in what you said because first of all, society pressure is is a big thing, right? Without parental support, I think the journey would have been difficult for you. Definitely. So I think kudos to Papa and Mama Yong, they did so good. I, I do see parallels in in my journey with yours because it all started with an open mind, right? Similar to you, I never um, had a desire to pursue an MBA because after bar school in my mind, I was like, I am done with exams. I am done with studying. (laughs) So doing an MBA was never really in the plans for me. But I think as I was sort of in that phase of, you know, realizing that litigation and legal practice at that point Really wasn't what I wanted to do And then thinking about Okay so what's next If not law Then what else And then at that time as well You Obviously you know We're best friends We always like reflect on our Career journeys together And at that point I was seeing you thrive In your first year in business school Like learning so much Obviously there were difficult bits But I really saw how you you really grew and really stretched as a a person, both personally and professionally. So I spoke to you about it and was really intrigued. And there was one day you also told me like, you know what, Jen, I think you should give it a go. Come for this also ladies' luncheon and see- It always starts with that, right? (laughs) It always starts with a ladies' luncheon. So the key is when someone invites you to lunch- Say yes, you never know what would um, happen out of it. I didn't take action to apply immediately because I was also thinking to myself, like, what could I offer to an MBA classroom? So even before I got accepted into school, I was already shooting myself down and coming up with reasons of why I shouldn't be applying. But in any event, somehow, someday, one day, I woke up and told myself like, and I think this was a culmination of a very stressful and mentally physically exhausting week when I told myself okay I know this is not what I want to do already so what are some tangible action steps I can take to pivot my career so then I recall what you said about business school I was thinking about the lunch and I thought to myself okay I have three weeks before the deadline close I'm just going to put in my application like you said worst case scenario rejection best case scenario I get a new door right that opens to new opportunities so put the application in and yeah, next thing, you know, managed to get into business school. And that was where I think that was the start of the career trajectory for the both of us. And obviously along the way, you know, I think my parents also, first of all, they were very supportive as well. We were very blessed in that respect, right? But in terms of, like, you know, things that other people said, yeah, you know, I had this senior partner when I told him that, okay, I'm gonna quit because I have this opportunity. He actually told me to my face, it's such a waste mm-hmm. for you to law you really already spent all these years for you to come back after doing this whole business school thing, it might be difficult for you to come back. So I did receive a mixed bag of reactions. You know, some were very encouraging and positive. My boss at that time was encouraging. He was like, oh, that's great, girl. Like, go for it. But there were some others who were quite negative about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you just have to remind yourself, like, whose opinion matters. And you need to be Um, very cognizant of who you allow to speak into your life and not just be swayed by what society thinks, you know, what other people think. So that was my foray into the MBA journey.
1: I think you touched upon something that was quite important, right? Talking about societal pressures and sort of the expectations that were given unconsciously or subconsciously to us. And this ties into the idea of sunk cost, right? You know, so much money has been put in, so much time has been put in into our legal education and especially sending us abroad. We are very grateful because we've had that opportunity to study abroad. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it was that realization whereby a lot of people said, wow, you took a risk and everyone was brave for wanting to make that career leap. I really didn't see it as something brave that I was doing. I I thought of it more from a perspective of if I don't take the reins of my own professional life and my career, who else is going to do that and who is going to make the decision for me as to what will matter in the long run? I had to have the perspective of what is the lifestyle that I want, what is sustainable for me and what is something that I see myself doing in the bigger run, right? Because work is something that's going to consume us And it's something that we spend most of our waking hours in It better be something that you enjoy Morning. And I think the other the other sort of thought that I had was that If I don't make the career pivot right now at that age and it was in 2017, if I didn't do it then to make a career pivot later on in my career, that would have been even more challenging just because of all the other commitments. And by the time you are more experienced, the career switch would have been even more challenging further down the line as compared to much earlier. Not to say impossible, right? But definitely would have had its own set of challenges.
0: Let's touch a bit about our business school days. How did your business school face... Lead you to where you are right now
1: You mentioned just now In my first year You saw me thrive and all that I really didn't think I was thriving In fact, I was (laughs) like a A little lost child I felt not having any directions and I remember you know one of the things you do a lot in business schools is like people ask you why did you decide to do business school and you always need to have this elevator pitch about yourself right preparing your why story what you hope to get out of business school and what you hope to do after business school and at that time I remember just being really careful about saying I never want to return to law or if there's something specific that I wanted to do because the reality was I didn't know so I just wanted to keep all my options open but I did have quite a number of friends who were very clear from the onset that they wanted to pursue the very prestigious consulting world. I think that's something that you can also speak about, right? Yeah. But it was something that, I mean, I did definitely explore it, sit in through some case interview prep sessions and things like that with some of my colleagues and classmates. But very early on, after speaking to a number of people who have also been in this field, I realized that it wasn't something for me. And again, tying in to what is the lifestyle that i want right even though money was definitely a huge pull factor in the consulting world it was very prestigious you get to do a lot of travel you meet different people you'll be all around the world engaging with high level executives solving strategic business problems but that very hectic crazy lifestyle that I just got out of was not something that I wanted
0: to get back into. Funny we were talking about management consulting now because I think traditionally most people go to business school with the end goal of A, either being a management consultant, B, going to investment banking and then now C, tech, right? So these are like the three sexy post-MBA paths and you are pursuing one of the three. But... Yeah, similar to you, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. That was something that actually really stressed me out in the first year of B-School because I looked around and I saw quite a lot of people already having figured out what were their next steps and were taking steps towards uh, going towards the next step, but I was still very much unsure. I then decided, okay, what would be the one industry that has parallels to law, which is like maybe the professional services firm, but also is... One that is prestigious also and allows me to learn a lot from it. So management consulting became the clear choice for me. And then I went in, guns blazing. I mean, even to the point that I ran for the committee of the consulting club and ended up heading the uh, club with another friend of mine. So having gone through the case preps and speaking to different management consultants and even going to interviews itself at the management consulting firms, I... Then I discovered that, okay, I have to be real with myself, right? Throughout the journey of the case rep and everything, which mind you is not a walk in a park. It requires so much time and investment. And you have to really want it. That's what I've learned to be able to persist through the journey. And I learned maybe it wasn't the best fit for my for my inclinations, for what I wanted in terms of the lifestyle and Maybe just in terms of like also skill fit as well. That was just something that didn't really sit right with me. But at the same time, I still wanted to keep my options open. So that was when I think the concept of mini career prototyping became quite evident in my life. Because I think we're privileged that we had the chance to conduct mini career experiments in a very safe space, right? Because we had business school to do that. And we got to try out what different industries were like, what different roles were like. So through our action learning projects, we we got to get little tasters. And so for me, I decided, okay, let me keep management consulting as an option, but also still be open to trying and seeing what other options were out there. So for me, through my personal, like for my ALs, I managed to get two ALs that were related to HR. And that was when my interest and what I knew about HR, it actually really, really broadened by virtue of this mini career experiment that I got to have. So yeah, through one of the action learnings where I got to do um, an HR project, when the action learning project was pitched, I thought it was something that I could leverage some transferable skills in. And it happened to be in Hong Kong, which was a city that I was very intrigued about. And I decided, okay seems like there's there's a good skill fit here. It seems interesting. I was curious about what the project would be like. So I decided, you know what? Don't have any HR experience. Don't know the first thing about the beauty industry, but I'm just gonna go for it. So that's the beginning of how I dipped my toe into the HR scene. But I'm actually curious to know, like, how did you go from interested to experiment with management consulting to then getting your hands like really, really deep
1: into tech? So for me, my experience was in the middle of 2018. So in between first year and second year of business school, we actually have the opportunity to do a spring immersion program in MIT Sloan as part of the school's collaboration. And I was looking forward to go for that. But what happened was actually two weeks before supposedly going on the track, I found out that my mom was sick and she had stage four lymphoma cancer. And it was very sudden. It was something that obviously caught the whole family off guard. And I remember kind of being very confused about it because you know there was obviously my mom which I wanted to spend time and prioritize and help look after her but also at the same time it's like okay we've been planning for the past one year and all the tickets have been booked all the Reservations have been made to go to the U.S. What do I do then? But anyway, long story short, I had the school support to, in that sense, postpone the U.S. track. It was a very difficult decision because obviously I was like, oh, but I would have loved to go to the U.S. track with my classmates and my colleagues that I spent the the first year of my MBA with. But I obviously wanted to prioritize mom, so I decided to stay back in Malaysia. It was at that time that I also explored the ASB podcast, which was a podcast that I launched in June of 2018. And it was an idea that came out from the year before November, 2017. It was during that time that I had in that sense, a lot of time in my hands, looking after my mom, not being at the US track that I got to explore doing the the ASB podcast as well, which is something that I used as an opportunity to also build my brand, which is something I can speak about later when it comes to that career transition. But also in that time of 2018 was when I had to do an internship and I had the opportunity to do this internship at the current tech firm that I'm in right now, based in Kuala Lumpur. And it was a very interesting experience because it was honestly my first time in the corporate world. And in that three months, I thrived and I loved and I enjoyed so much of everything that I was doing, the people that I was in the mission of the company. And then I realized that I had so many other interests beyond law that I could explore. It's like my eyes suddenly opened to see that there is a world outside of law because I think the tendency as lawyers sometimes is that we get very tunnel visioned. So it was from that I started exploring, started becoming more interested to find out more about What are the other opportunities that I could maybe consider post-MBA? So maybe let's segue into your
0: career transition story. What was your journey like after graduation, Sarah?
1: Yeah, so for me, I think as with all of us, we started looking for roles post-graduation, even during our second year of business school. And I was initially open to exploring roles in other geographies, Singapore specifically at that point of time. And just taking a step back, right, for the benefit of some of our listeners who may not already know this sort of diagram that we talk about whenever we refer to the story of career transitioning, where there is the role, the industry, as well as the geography. These three sort of circles are what forms the fundamental building blocks of our career. And when we talk about career transitions, we're always encouraged to have at least one or two of these circles stable and change only one it's sort of discouraged in that sense by most career advisors to change all three just because it's more challenging doesn't mean it's not possible Janice for one was successful in doing it but for me eventually I decided to prioritize changing role and industry and look for a role in Malaysia what about For you, Jen
0: In terms of the career Transition story I went to Hong Kong And I did this HR internship And that was where I got to meet my boss At the time Which is also the same boss That I report to now And what really struck me During that internship Was to have someone That was very intentional About my career development And my career goals Even at the point of Just being an intern Right, but she was Very intentional about Helping me discover What I wanted to do After the MBA And she coached me Through certain conversations How to think about where my strengths align with different career paths so that was something I really appreciated and something I really I took away from the internship which was that having a boss that was invested in your growth Mm. actually really really matters more sometimes more so than the job that you're in or even in the company itself
1: definitely something that I resonate and echo with as well and I think we can speak a little bit about certain hygiene factors that we realize are important to us right and for me part of this whole career transition process i really struggled with the chicken and egg situation whereby you need the job for the experience but at the same time you need the experience for the job that was something yeah. that was very real because a lot of people just wanted to know what is it that you bring to the table and what is it that you have to offer and given that we're not fresh graduates right out of university we are mba graduates and in that sense it's not that we have absolutely zero working experience so for me as i was considering what are the options that i had i realized that i wanted to work for an organization that believed in my potential and not just the past experience that I've had, because that's not something I can change, right? The fact that I didn't study anything with regards to STEM or even have a STEM degree. But, you know, as part of my career narrative, I really incorporated something that Satya Nadella, which is Microsoft's CEO, in his book, Hit Refresh, one of the things he said is, every person, organization, and even society reaches a point at which they owe it to themselves to hit refresh, to re-energize, renew, reframe, and rethink their purpose. And it was something that really resonated with me when I read it. And I made sure to be very authentic and vulnerable when I included it as part of my personal narrative. When hiring managers were speaking to me, I was very open about sharing how I was looking at January 2020 being a year to hit refresh for me personally, in the sense that I did take a six-month sabbatical to look after my mom after graduation, and professionally as well, starting in a new role in a new industry. So that mantra, I would say, of hitting refresh was something that was personal to me, not just a quote that I picked out of the book by Satya Nadella, but it was something that was true in terms of the life that I was living and in terms of the role that I was looking for that was in line with, with my personal mission. And I also made sure to have an emphasis on wanting a customer-facing role because given I was a lawyer for a couple of years, I do have certain transferable skills that can help me excel in customer-facing roles. For example, front-facing certain customer conversations, having the sort of confidence, charisma to be able to connect with customers, right? Because it, it might not be easy for someone who doesn't have that technical knowledge and it's not to mean that I have that technical knowledge now it's definitely something I'm still building on but this was part of my story whenever I wanted to share with my hiring managers that you know I do have something to bring to the table I do have transferable skills that I can bring across from the previous work experience that I have what about you Jen?
0: That is such an empowering story. And I really love that quote by Satya Nadella, right? About hitting refresh. And yeah, I think also another great point that you mentioned was knowing the skills that you can bring to the table. Because especially in the role that you are in, Sarah, like it's very technical. You tell me about the different exams that you have to take and you have to be certified in different um, sort of programs. The transition definitely wasn't like a breeze or walk in a park. Like so much effort goes behind the scenes. And I've seen how you've been hustling and studying for exams. So maybe let's talk a little bit about like how the first year was like in terms of the adjustment, in terms of maybe being feeling uncomfortable in the role as, as a beginner, maybe even imposter syndrome, because for me personally, this was something that I did experience and it was challenging so having to transition and to basically refresh your skills and refresh your mindset into a whole different role that's something that definitely requires sort of a paradigm shift right for me in my first year I think knowing exactly what I could bring to the table and not beating myself up for the things that I did not know and needed to learn from scratch I think was very key and just giving myself some grace as well, you know, finding that balance of like, okay, I need to be very proactive about what are the skills I need to build, what are some of the gaps that I need to bridge, but at the same time, also giving myself grace and giving myself time to be like, yeah, you know, this takes time, you're not going to overnight be able to master competencies and all these different skills that your role requires you to have, and so with that in mind, being very intentional with the learnings and having a very open and positive mind when it comes to difficulties that um, I face in my day-to-day job. So that was my journey. Did you Do you resonate with that?
1: <laughs> yeah, so definitely. When I was first interviewing and hired for this role in the tech company, to be honest, my role title had the word technical in it so it was called technical account manager and even I was like oh my gosh this is totally misleading because the last thing I have is that technical knowledge but it was something that I was willing to put in the effort to learn when we talk about that imposter syndrome it's something that I felt very strongly for because whether you like it or not you have to embody that role that you're hired for because your manager believes in that potential in you and you have got to just in that sense fake it until you make it right and I remember sitting in customer conversations with some seniors who brought me along in the first month of my role and not having an A clue Or understanding Any of the tech jargon That they were speaking about And just being completely lost But I think by immersing myself Into customer conversations Very early on It gave me exposure To different things For example How do customers interact? How should I interact with customers? How do I respond to customers' questions? And some questions might not be easy, right? They are challenging questions that customers put towards you just to see how you respond. And I had to learn all of that just in terms of knowing how do you leverage certain customers, stakeholder management, relationship management, all of these things which in that sense can't be taught from a book.
0: You know, what I'm hearing from you and also what I've realized in my own journey is that there will be many other moments in life that we would feel this way there are a large like, you know, majority of us who would have career pivots, who would discover that, okay, we, we have interest in different areas and maybe by life circumstances or different interests that you build up over time eventually would pivot our career. So we would have multiple moments of starting afresh again and being learners and beginners again in our role. So I feel like, you know, this first major pivot that we've had in our life, it's taught us so much and It's like the primer of what it would feel like to be a beginner again. And I think that we should carry this throughout the rest of our lives, right? What other lessons have you learned as well during this career transition journey?
1: I think something I should be very intentional about is having a growth mindset. And it sounds very cliche, but it just basically means that I want to embody the spirit of being a learn-it-all as compared to a know-it-all. I don't want to approach work or my life in a sense that I have it all figured out. It means that every day we realize that there's something new to learn. I hope we don't ever come to a stage and and keep me honest here if I ever do, right, Jen? And and I will for you as well. If we ever come to a stage where we feel like we've got it all figured out and and we, we know all the... You know, keys to unlock life's mysterious challenges. I think it keeps us humble because it makes us realize that there's a lot more to learn and a lot more to adapt ourselves to. Something else that was important to me is having my own personal board of directors. And the idea behind it is that you have three, four, or five people that you sort of trust with your life in that sense. And they are the people who are your sounding board, they are the people that you can be very real with, with your challenges and questions and your uncertainties in life that you're navigating through. Having those people has really helped give me clarity, help me to see things that I might be blindsided to and just keeping that circle close because they're the people who are invested into your personal as well as professional and and they want what's best for you. So having that personal board of directors, identifying these individuals who are key to your success, to you thriving is really important. You want them to be the ones to keep you honest in your day-to-day as well.
0: And another point to add to that is that, I mean, for me personally, my personal board of directors, people who are not specifically in HR it's like people from different industries of different ages as well and I think the benefit of board of directors or even life mentors right who are made up of very varied professionals is the variety and diversity of opinions and perspective that I get which is something that I actually really like and tying to that right is something i've learned which is that don't let your role or industry define and limit you i love that yeah like something i, I realized is that when i stepped out from the sort of lane of law right during the mba days and post mba days and seeing what else was out there i realized that there's so much that we don't know but having the exposure to different uh, conversations people with different life lenses it actually teaches you so much.
1: And I think tying to that, Jen, is um, the idea of how important it is to have interests outside of work. Sometimes, you know, we get totally caught up in letting the role define us. Like, it's very easy for us to say, hi, my name is Sarah. I'm a lawyer practicing Mm. in Malaysia. That's how we used to introduce ourselves. Um, And uh, then when we lost the title, lost, right, that title of not being lawyers anymore, then you think about, all right, how then do I introduce myself? And I think this just gives us some perspective to think about the fact that we're not, tied to our roles or our organizations completely I think it's very important to find our identities in knowing that we are Sarah and outside of that role outside of that organization and what makes you 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 know as, as cliche as it is so having interest outside of work is something that I definitely recommend for every young professional to have Jan you and I are taking our interest into a whole new level by ideating this entire explore this podcast right so definitely something that I recommend for for young professionals like you and I
0: so I really love that Sarah but let's segue maybe into the final part of our conversation today and I'd love to hear about what are some of the you know realizations or core values and motivations that are still driving you at work and in life in general
1: so I think it's a never-ending journey of discovery. I hope that there is no finality to it in the sense that I'm always discovering what are certain new realizations that I never knew about. But in terms of that core values and intrinsic motivations that I realize is how important it is for me to have certain hygiene factors when I talk about my professional career, at least. I think for me, a few things that that really stand out is wanting to work for a good boss that I respect, that... I feel is aligned to my personal values That supports my growth and potential I think that's very important Because at the end of the day You cannot work for someone That you don't respect, right? So that that's something That is definitely key for me I want to also have the opportunity In whatever role I, I'm in To be able to deliver impact that is aligned to my skill sets. Another thing that is really important is having that sort of work-life balance. And I know this word is thrown around a lot, but it's realizing given the legal profession that we were in previously, of all that late nights and early mornings that we talk about, those sweat and tears, I value having my personal life outside of work and that opportunity to spend time with loved ones outside of work. I think that's something I realize is important, especially now, in this times of COVID-19 where we're all separated from our loved ones and me from you, Jen, you from me, you know, yeah. we've been apart for, I don't know, is it more than a year now? It's like a decade, um, but yep, it's been a year. <laughs> yeah, so Janice and I are best friends and we we used to see each other so regularly, right? And we used to, in that sense, live under the same roof during our MBA days when our first year and second years collided. But now, it's been a year since I've seen Janice and the only time we connect is via video calls. I mean, I'm so grateful for technology, but it's never the same, right? So yes work is important and yes work is something that we spend so much of our time in but at the same time having my time and space to build and nurture relationships that are important to me with my loved ones is something that is quite high on my priority list
0: touching on balance right so i would say one of the core realizations that i have as well is there are different pillars of my life that i want to make sure are in place mm-hmm. and you know, what I realized is that you really can't pour out, out of an empty cup, even if you're like hustling all day long and, you know, you're so fully drawn out and you're just physically exhausted at the end of the day. It has a very negative knock-on effects into different areas of your life. So with that, I have certain pillars that I've identified are really important to me. One of it being health and obviously spirituality and mental well-being. And creativity, which I think is definitely fueled by this podcast, right? And having all these core pillars of life and being very intentional in making sure that all these pillars of life, relationships as well, you know, friends and family, loved ones, all of these pillars have to be in place for me to be satisfied in life in general. So it's not just having career be the only and the defining thing that is going on. Although yes, most of the hours in our life are consumed by work, but these different hygiene factors, pillars have to be in place as well. But another quote that I think really resonated with me, and I heard that recently in an Adam Grant podcast in relation to finding your passion at work, right? is to follow curiosity into the job you think you learn the most, or you can gain mastery over useful skills and build your passion over time. So essentially It's the idea of not being so fixated about finding my passion or the one true calling of my work life, but to just invest time into... A job that I will be able to learn most from and to be able to ignite and pique my curiosity. So these are some of the realizations I've had.
1: There is an analogy I've heard of. Whenever we talk about these different pillars in our life, you know, you mentioned it, right? Health, and that's from a physical sense as well as a mental well-being. And then relationships, family, career, all of these are balls that we are juggling in our hands. But the core difference being all of these are regular balls, but relationships and family are glass balls that's once that once you've broken, it will be hard to piece them back together. Everything else, they might bounce back, right? You might be able to pick it up and sort of continue juggling. But with family and relationships being something that you want to prioritize because it is a glass ball that that once broken it will be really difficult for you to fix back so I think it's about identifying priorities really totally agree totally agree all right so I think we'll come to the end of our conversation and this is something that we'll like to do with all our future upcoming guests in the explore this podcast where we ask our guests a question and today we wanted to do something different so Janice and I have prepared a question for each other that we don't know about so I'm kind of scared at how this will turn out but I think let's go for it Jen Uh, what is your question for me?
0: Brace yourself skeletons are gonna come out of the closet (laughs) kidding okay so today's question for you Sarah is what can you do today that you were not capable of a year ago? Wow (laughs) (laughs) It's time to show up those skills, girl. Don't be wow. shy.
1: This is a very good question, Jen. I think one thing that I can do now that I couldn't in the past is give myself grace. And it sounds... So simple, but I think it was hard for me in the past being a planner, someone who's really in that sense organized. I like to know what is the next step in my life. I like to have control essentially, mm-hmm. right now, not having that opportunity to do so in in a lot of different areas in my life is something that I had to learn, and letting go of that need for control that challenge is very real because it's maybe just innate in me whereby I like to know what's happening next. I like to have in that sense control of certain narratives, but Just, you know, realizing that I have the capacity to give myself grace, give myself um, that space for certain things that I need to grieve about. And when we talk about grief, right, it's it's a whole new other conversation. It's not just about grieving the loss of someone, but it's the loss of certain things things that are important to us especially during this time of pandemic so yeah I think giving myself grace and and just learning how to let myself be vulnerable with my close friends and letting them be the ones who hold space for me is something that I think and I hope that I'm able to do better now definitely still have room for improvement but yeah something that is a learning point for me as well
0: that's so good and yeah you do hold whole space for me very well but you still send out calendar invites like every time we need to talk though so
1: (laughs) you know as they say if it's not in the calendar it's not happening Uh, but that was a great question Jen. okay for me my question for you is what is one thing that people often get wrong about you and feel free to go as deep as you want girl
0: what is one thing that people often get wrong about me Okay, I have one. The one thing that people get wrong about me is that people somehow think that I am like this massive extrovert. And honestly, that is not completely accurate because I would... I do identify as being an um, extroverted introvert. Obviously, I love human interaction and spending time with the right people recharges me, uplifts me. But at the end of the day, I don't think I can do too much of that because it really drains me. Mm-hmm. And I do need moments of alone time. One full day of solitude mm-hmm. <laughs> is something that's quite necessary for me. I think for both of us also, we love Definitely. to like, talk and, you know, we-, we recharge with social interactions. But yeah, at the end of the day, I still need that solitude whether it's by reading or or journaling or just going for a run by the river
1: so i think this brings us to the end of the episode and what janice and i really hope is that to our listeners out there this really gives you a flavor of who we are as co-hosts of the explore this podcast it gives you some light into our personal as well as professional lives we're not just the voices behind this podcast but there is a human behind it with a story and hopefully this gives you a little glimpse of what the rest of the podcast episodes will be like thank
0: you so much for sticking with us and we hope to take you along this journey with us
1: bye if you've stuck around to the end of this episode we want to say thank you for exploring with us